So um, what Darren had brought up uh, as our strategy is he's obviously preaching three weeks out of the month. I'm going to do one. And I thought that it would um, most edify the church to focus on um, the Baptist faith and message and kind of working through key doctrine there that we believe and how it affects this church and how those doctrines will help us impact our community. Um, In doing so, I have the amazing, amazing privilege of preaching on the sufficiency of scripture. Uh, I know that the, uh, the idea of scripture in our modern world is kind of looked at with a turned up nose, arrogance, and uh, you, you usually get the, do you really believe the Bible? Um, we do. We do really believe the Bible, and it's for good reason. Um, Martin Luther is a hero of the faith. He's a colossal figure, even in secular academics. Uh, he is referenced through Western history, uh, but he wasn't always a colossal figure. Um, there was a back then, and back then he was a simple German Uh, that was convicted of his sins in need of a savior, and he found salvation through Christ. Uh, He pursued uh, through uh, a monastery additional studies and works. Uh, As he was growing through these, he found himself capable and qualified to be a teacher, um, and he was a teacher of theology. Now, at the time, the the church... um, had many corruptions, and that was observed by many. There were people who saw the evil, but they would say nothing because there was a, a power, um, a top-down power that was coming from Rome uh, that basically kind of squished anybody who would contradict whatever they were up to. The one thing that kept eating at Luther uh, that really just pushed him over the top was the idea of selling indulgences. So it was possible, if you had money, to pay off somebody's time in purgatory, uh, which was basically a paying off of sins. So you could take money and pay your sins. And uh, it didn't just bother Luther internally. It bothered him to where he had to say something. He had to speak out. And the reason why it was bothering him is he knew the Bible. He knew his Bible. He read the Bible. He was lecturing on the Bible. And what he had seen in the Bible was something that was very key to Christian salvation, and it was Christ alone. Through Jesus alone, you have salvation. And Luther, um, though going against some advice, he had this moment where he posted 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. Uh, And it was only for academic debate. It wasn't because he wanted to take on the church. He wasn't some rogue figure that, uh, that saw himself as great. He saw himself as a man who had much sin and was forgiven much and wanted to be sure that people weren't placing faith in something like uh, indulgences. The moment that he posted these, however, uh, those 95 theses spread like wildfire throughout Germany. So the intention to debate it academically was thrown out, and he became the enemy of the state. He became public enemy number one in Germany. Um, the, The key doctrine that he had proposed was that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that was something to be debated, but this was all placed upon a foundation that he was standing on. And that foundation he was standing on was the appeal to Scripture as the supreme authority. So think about a time in your life where you maybe have had to trust in 
a bridge or a ladder or a foundation. And when you look at that, that foundation, maybe think of the, uh, the dunes, right? When the ocean comes in and washes the sand away, there may be a ledge. Ooh, that's probably not a safe spot to stand. Why? Because you could fall, right? You could fall and you could be in a, a world of pain. Me and Bob were just talking about falling as you get older and world of pains follow, right? And Luther was put in a very difficult situation because he had to be sure that the authority he was standing on, which was God's word, that that would actually hold up, that that was actually sufficient. Uh, He had different uh, interrogations uh, as they were pursuing him and trying to catch him as a heretic. Uh, The Catholic Church had a track record of tracking you down and putting you to death. And they basically led with a simple thing, and it was recant. It was taking the person's works that they did, the statements they did, and say, recant, you're wrong. And it was at the Council of Worms that Luther ended up um, in the presence of the emperor and also representatives straight from the pope. He thought that it would be a great time to be able to bring these things up in debate, but he was met with a very firm and straightforward recant. That's where we're starting, and that's where we'll end They put pressure on him, great pressure, as you could imagine, that he needed to recant. And it was eating at Luther that maybe, was he right? Was he wrong? And he wanted 24 hours. Now, there have been Hollywood depictions of Luther, and a lot of times we like to look back and think, you know, he's the boldest man in history. You know, he just, he stood there and he said these things. But the reality is, is he actually wanted 24 hours to think this over because he knew that if he continued to stand on the scriptures alone, um, It it could mean his life. It could mean his life. This was serious. Was the foundation he was standing on sufficient? Was it right? Was this where God wanted him to stand and not move? History has it that he did come back after 24 hours. And uh, he has a quote here in his declaration of them. And he said, unless I'm convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Uh, There's more to Luther's story, uh, but this was a key moment where the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, the supremacy of Scripture, the Scripture being above popes and kings and any councils, Uh, was clearly declared, and the Reformation has benefited much from it. Let's pray, church, before we get into the actual text. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the ability to speak on it, speak about it. I pray that it would speak to us, help us to be bold and confident in it, help us to love it, help us to relish reading it, help us to find nutrients from it for our daily lives, And help us to proclaim the message it contains about Christ Jesus, our Lord, to this community. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17 is sandwiched between two special exhortations that were coming from Paul to Timothy. I'd like to read them in context with you. So, I'm going to read from 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 4, 5. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, I'll give you a moment. You can follow along with me. So 2 Timothy 10, 2 Timothy 3, 10, 
starts with you. So this is Paul talking to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and com- with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul, when he wrote this to Timothy, um, was towards the beginning of the end, um, and he knew it. Most likely was written while Paul was awaiting the results of his trial in Rome. And if we read a little bit further, you would see that Paul concluded this exhortation with that, I finished the race statement. So Paul was ready to, to go and be in the presence of his Lord, but he knew that there was some final things to be spoken to Timothy. Timothy was a son in the faith to the apostle Paul. He was a faithful believer um, that had taken on the responsibility of being an elder in the church. He was doing difficult work throughout the church. The early church, it was all difficult work. And even church work now is difficult work. And Paul's exhortation, think of this at the end. This is, these are final statements to a younger man of God to continue on in preaching and proclaiming the truth. Uh, he, he focuses his attention, he focuses Timothy's attention on the all-sufficient scripture and why that scripture is sufficient. When we look through um, the, the text that we're looking at, uh, there's, a, there's an opening statement that Paul has here, which is all scripture, and that begs the question, it begs the question, the question of what is scripture? There's a lot of differing opinions out there. But we have a confession. I think our confession is right. So I'm going to read you Baptist Faith and Message 2000 on what we believe on Scripture. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God's for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds and religious opinion should be tried. 
All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. So all scripture, we affirm that both Old Testament and New Testament is scripture. The Old Testament all foretold the coming of Christ, and the New Testament proclaimed his arrival and his future return. And what the scriptures are is they're an unfolding of God's redemptive plan. It's a revealing of himself. So this revelation of God to us comes in stages. So I'd like to use the analogy of a master artist. If you were to go and maybe sit in an art gallery um, and observe the art, you would see finished products and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. But if you could go to the actual studio, the art studio, and watch that artist work, things don't always start that way. Sometimes you just see blotches of paint. You can be like, what is this? But as time goes on, you start to see, oh, that's a background, right? Maybe it's a beautiful sunset. Uh, Maybe it's a vivid picture of, of a forest. And as the artist continues to work and add more color and add more contrast, you see a more clear picture of what that artist was painting. And in a similar way, God has revealed himself through the scripture. So when we look at the Old Testament, we're privileged to look through the lens of Christ because Christ is the clearest representative of God to man. The writer of the Hebrews speaks of it this way, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So as this picture was carried along through covenants in the Old Testament and Christ arrives, we now see what God is like through the person and work of Christ. Scripture is authored by God. So all of these books, all 66 books, the Old Testament and New Testament, they bear an autograph of God himself. All of the Old Testament has places constantly throughout with thus says the Lord. We see an autograph of God constantly through the text. The New Testament authors were consistently affirming that God was the author of the Old Testament through their own writings. And their own writings were accepted by the church as scripture, as sufficient. Our Lord himself, when talking about the scriptures, said this to his his antagonists, the scribes that came and, and were trying to catch him in his words. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, he's talking about the scriptures here, that bear witness about me. The scriptures bear witness about Christ and his work. So the gospel is the jewel of the church. And the place to observe that jewel is through, through the text. Scripture is self-attesting. What does that mean? Well, we cannot appeal to a higher authority than the scriptures themselves to judge them. They judge themselves. So I have a quote here from a, uh, a theologian, Wayne Grudem, that has been uh, very faithful in his work. And this is how he explains the self-attestation, self-attesting of the scriptures. He says, the words of scripture are self-attesting. They cannot be proved to be God's words by appeal to any higher authority. For if an appeal to some higher authority, say historical accuracy, logical consistency, were used to prove that the Bible is God's word, then the Bible itself would not be our highest or absolute authority. It would be subordinate in authority to the thing which we appeal to prove it to be God's word. And this is exactly what Luther was doing. Luther realized 
that the councils could be wrong, that the Pope could be wrong. And he was appealing to the scriptures because the scriptures are the supreme authority. They're supreme over us. They're supreme over um, our pastors. They're supreme over our confessions. There's nothing above them. The way that we come about with our theology, come about with our teachings, come about with our ideas as a church should all be in subjection to the scriptures. And the question we need to constantly be asking on our day-to-day lives is by what standard? By what standard are we doing our day-to-day activity? We should judge everything by the word of God because the word of God is true and good. The word of God is supreme. It should shape the way that we worship. It should shape the way that we see and understand God. It should inform us and direct us and how we're to live in a fallen world. We need to also be on our guard because this is a sneaky place that the world wants us to compromise. They want to set some standard next to the scriptures so that when we judge, we're judging by their standards and not by the word of God alone. Another important point is scripture is living and powerful. The spirit of God bears witness to its authenticity and to its authority. As we read the word, the spirit makes it plain that this is God's word. It's not a surprise and it's not a a, uh, gimmick that we focus on preaching as a key part of worship. The preaching of the word of God is commanded and we're to adhere to it. Think about the times that you've read the scriptures and the spirit has borne witness that these words are true and they are shaping and they're to lead us and move us forward. We preach from the scriptures alone. The scriptures alone are sufficient for the truth of the church. We don't need an additional text. We have the Bible. The scriptures are breathed out by God. So inspiration, this this word's a special word. It's actually one unit. When you're reading it in in the original, it's one specific word. It's God-breathed. And inspiration... Inspiration is not by man's work. It's not, I have a feeling, so I'm going to write this down. The inspiration we're talking about is truly God working through a human author. Peter talks about it this way in 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This carrying along, the Lord is interacting with his creation. So there's both a human authorship of our scriptures and a divine authorship. And this is something special and unique in how Christians understand their scriptures. Paul wrote in his own way. So when he was writing to Timothy, Paul was writing with wants, needs, place, time, right? You can actually feel the care of a father towards a son in his writing. You could also sense his upcoming end in his writing. His, the human element is clearly there. Peter, Peter wrote in his own way. When you read Peter, you'll actually see a different style in how he wrote. He was a different person. He wrote in a different way. Moses, Moses the same when you read the works that Moses wrote. But God was upholding both the human authorship and his divine autograph when they wrote. He inspired every word that was written through these human authors while upholding the fact that those words were inerrant. They had no error. Our Bible that we read 
is a way in which we see God interacting with his creation. God's not lofty in the heavens off playing golf somewhere. Um, He's not hiding out in the cosmos, but he's interacting with us in his creation. He created all things, is supreme above all things, but he interacts through them. And in a special way, he's interacted through the Bible that we have to read. Inspiration that God breathed cannot be compromised. We cannot give up this understanding that God has spoken through his word. It's been a main battlefront that we've had to deal with in the church for many, many years, and it continues to this day. Around the same time that Luther was, shortly thereafter, there was the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment happened when men started to place themselves in the center of their universe. They wanted to remove God. Can I stand in the center of my own universe? As that was happening, we saw many additional philosophies come along. One of the key ones was the idea that God didn't exist. There's a philosopher named Nietzsche who's coined as saying God is dead. He ushered in the modernist movement. The modernist movement continued to thrive on skepticism. Skepticism and questioning all things. We're in a post-postmodern world now. And we've all heard the, your truth is your truth. Well, my truth is my truth, right? Leave me alone. Let me just believe the way that I would like to believe. It's all about my experiences. And there's always a little follow-up that happens when you want to stand firm in the, in the scriptures. Is did God actually say, right? That was what Satan said in Genesis 3.1. Did God actually say? Did God actually say? that we don't have rights over our own bodies? Did God actually say that the covenant of marriage was sacred? Did God actually say that we're to be holy as he is holy? Can't we just live life? Things will work out in the end. They'll pan out in the end. You should be the center of your own universe. Did God actually say? So inspiration is constantly under attack. It's consistently under attack. The devil knows that this is a key area that if the church compromises, He wins. He wins. And that can take a generation to overturn. Let's pray for the faithful men who are championing inerrancy and the inspiration of the Bible throughout our country and also the world, faithful missionaries. Matthew uh, Barrett wrote a, a good book that I commend to you called God's Word Alone. And he says this about inspiration. He says, to reject inspiration is to abandon the authority of Christ and the apostles as our doctrinal authorities. For they themselves taught this doctrine. If scripture is not inspired, as some argue, then the claims and exhortations of Christ and the apostles no longer hold water. The moment that they no longer hold water, it is a slippery slope. It's inerrancy that saved Southern Seminary, the school that I went to. It's inerrancy that holds the SBC together. This appeal to scripture as supreme is truly our rock because it testifies of Christ. Profitable. Scripture's profitable. So scripture is the treasure of the church. Right? The value is found in the scriptures. The scriptures are profitable for teaching all doctrine. Everything that we teach. To form any doctrine, it must be clearly seen and demonstrated from the text. We can't just pick and choose what we want to believe. But we allow the scriptures 
to interpret the scriptures, and we build our teaching based on the whole Bible and an understanding of the whole Bible. The scriptures do speak to every part of our life, whether it's the quiet times where we're alone or whether it's the public times of worship that we share now, the scripture does have something to say. We baptize by immersing a professing believer due to the example we see in the text. So as Baptists, there's a reason we believe in immersion. There's a reason we believe that it is for a believer. It's because we're convinced from the Bible that that is what we're to do. The scriptures are a treasure for reproving. This is a great help, especially to a father when it comes to reproving a child. I don't have to rest on my own morals and my own judgments. It's a help to pastors in passing judgment on things that need to be changed because we can rest sure, like Luther stood on the word to make his, his statement. We can rest sure that if we need to change something, the scriptures teach it. We're no longer appealing to our own prejudices. We're not appealing to our own thoughts or feelings. We're appealing to God's word. What does the Lord say about this? And that's what we obey. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning of thoughts and intentions of the heart. The scriptures are the only thing that can go so deep into a man that it would change him thoroughly and completely. It's sufficient for training in righteousness. God supplied all of our needs, all of our needs, and through the scriptures we can live out the Christian life. Doesn't matter what time we live in, doesn't matter what experiences we've had or events, the scriptures are sufficient for training in righteousness. They're the only book that explains who we are, what our hearts are truly like, and it gives us a thorough diagnosis and the cure. This is something that the world continues to grasp after, is what's really wrong and what's truly the solution. We know what's truly wrong, sin. Sin entered the world. That's why things are broken and messed up. And we also know the cure. All scriptures are testifying. All scriptures are pointing to the person and the work of Christ. And there's two, two books to be read by all men who walk on this planet. There's general revelation. This is when a person is born and they just start experiencing the world. They can look around them. They can see the beauty in the world, whether it's of... You know, like we, we brought up artists' renditions of nature. Think about nature itself. And we live in a very beautiful place here. Just observing the beauty outside, observing time with family, observing the things that you love. All of those things bear witness to a God who's created things and created them with order. Natural re- revelation, though, when we look at those things, that's not enough. It's not enough for us to know God thoroughly. Paul talks about this in Romans when he talks about God's invisible attributes. He says, for his invisible attributes, they're namely his eternal power, divine nature. They're clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So that they, he's talking about all men, that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So God knew that just creating wasn't going to be enough. And out of love for his people, 
And in a declaration of who he is, he gave us the scriptures. It's a special revelation. And all of those scriptures, as they're unfolding, paint the beautiful and vivid picture through the person and work of Jesus. God's given us the scriptures also to equip us for every good work. Scripture enables us to live out the Christian life and to proclaim the gospel. God's intention in giving us his word is to provide all that is necessary for living the Christian life and preaching the gospel. At Luther's time, uh, there were no common tongue Bibles or no Bibles just for the average man. That was a problem. And as the Reformation continued on, this was a major push by faithful men is to get the Bible into the hands of the common folk in their common language where they could read it, where they could read it and understand it. And as of right now, we have access, we have access to so many Bible translations in English. can drive you crazy at times. But we have access to God's Word in our common tongue. It's available to be read. And when God gives us His Word, it's a, a gracious God giving us the tools necessary to live out a faithful life a faithful Christian life and proclaiming the gospel. And think of it like this. If you're a craftsman and you're tasked with building a staircase, stairs can be very tricky, right? Stairs can be very tricky. And if you're going to be building a staircase and all you have is a hammer, some nails, and a saw, you're going to have a very primitive staircase. Even if you're quite handy, you're really hamstrung by the tools that you have available for you to build. If you were to take and give someone entrusted with the duty of building a master staircase for a king, you gave this craftsman a woodworking shop complete with all of the saws and all of the sanders and all of the planers and all the joiners and everything that you would possibly need to really put in master craftsman work. And you have the best of supplies when it comes to your lumber and the best of supplies when it comes to your finishes. And not only that, but you also have other helpers, those around you, able to utilize those same tools. You could build a staircase or a home or anything that you're tasked with fit for a king. And what God has done for us as our king is he's provided us all the tools necessary all of the craft work necessary to honor him and glorify him. We're able to truly live out a life that is pleasing to God. And we find those things, find those gems, find those tools in the text, in the Bible. So for some application from this and encouragement, God wrote a book for all of us. So we should read it and we should study it. We eat and we drink every single day. It's common to us. We breathe and we assume that the air will be there. And those things are all things God provides. But he's provided something even better, even better than food and drink for the day. He's provided the living word. We should be consuming the Bible daily for our nourishment. The truth of the matter is reading the Bible is very hard work. It's not easy. It's a spiritual exercise. An exercise at time may not be that fun. I've also found that most arguments, most things that people bring against Christians in the Bible always come from those who have never read the Bible. 
And as you're pressed and as we hear complaints or questions are brought up, we don't need to fear. But what we need to do is we need to take and read and study the scriptures as Spurgeon would explain them are like a lion. A lion doesn't need anyone to defend it. All a lion needs is to be turned loose. So as we read and as we study it and we present it unashamedly, we do believe that the scriptures are sufficient. So read and study the word. Also use it as your standard. As we're reading and studying it, we will be cut to the heart. We will see sin. We will see rebellion and we'll see shortcomings. We need to allow God's word to shape us and change us. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing through the word, shaping us and making us more into the image of Jesus. We need to be looking for Christ on every page. And if we don't seem to find him on one, continue reading and turn the next page. Use the scriptures as your standard for life. It should inform how we vote. It should inform what we're doing in our careers. It should inform how we're spending our retirement. Whether we're eating or drinking, we should do all to the glory of God. And we don't know how to maximize that glory unless we're saturated in the Bible. And if there's anything that will cause us some apprehension to sharing its message is it's not understanding its message. So as we read and understand, we should have an overflow in our hearts to take that truth and also share it. So don't keep God's word all to yourself. Whatever you're reading and learning, when you're hearing God's voice speak through the Bible, share it with us. That is the community of believers that we are. We're to share the truth of God's word with each other. And as we're edifying one another and building each other up, we need to then take this word which is a proclamation of Christ. We need to take it to the lost. We need to get to these communities that are around us and proclaim its message. So we need to seek to reach the community with God's word because God's word is what's going to change them and it's what they can build their life on. God's word is sufficient until his return, until Christ's second return, second coming. And I hope that that's edified you in the way that it's excited me. Let's pray. Lord, I know that I covered a lot, and I know that your word is good. I also know that we hang our lives on sentences and little things that are remembered. So I pray that what's remembered from this sermon would be sentences of power that would change our lives, that we would go to the text, that we would take and read and live, that we would be a church that loves the Bible and proclaims the Bible and holds fast to the Bible. That everything else that we build and do and exhort our, or exhaust ourselves in doing would come from the foundation that the scriptures lay. Because the scriptures all speak of your son, Father. I pray that this Lord's Day would be rich with Bible reading. That it would invigorate us to continue to go to our Bibles with joy. Because we would be meeting you there. And that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. Making us more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.